to or welcome back to episode seven of the Bendy and Strong podcast, where we talk about strength training with Ella's Danlos and joint hypermobility. So today we have actually got a guest on. This is not just me rambling about training. We've got Abby Phillipson on and Abby is someone who I've connected with through social media and she's got a really inspiring story. So Abby has classical Ella's Danlos and she's a coach. She loves training and she's actually competed in bodybuilding as well. So she has a real passion for training. And the thing really that actually really prompted me to get Abby on the podcast was a comment that she'd left on one of my Instagram reels that I posted. And she basically said how she had been a number of years ago, she'd been in a wheelchair and she'd been quite debilitated by her EDS. And she basically from that position had to really reconstruct her mentality around it, but also her physical approach, how she actually approached the EDS. Um, And that reconstruction was what allowed her to, I guess, strive for bigger goals outside of the EDS and outside of the little EDS bubble that we can sometimes get caught in. So uh, I'll give Abby a proper intro soon, but what we're going to be discussing is a couple of things. One of them is just generally training around EDS, of course. Another one is classical EDS because that's what Abby's got the diagnosis of. So the symptoms that she has and how that affects training for her. Then one of the really strong themes that kind of came across the whole discussion was this idea of owning the diagnosis and not just owning it, but it's almost, it sounds crazy, but looking for ways to celebrate the diagnosis whilst also striving for more and striving for things beyond EDS. Now, one of the other things we talked about, because I get a lot of messages and comments from people with EDS asking how to gain muscle. It seems like there's a couple of camps. Some people with EDS don't have any trouble gaining muscle. Some people do. Uh, So we discussed that what factors might be at play, stopping them from gaining muscle and strategies that you can do to work around that. And the other one that we discussed, which I think this could be really helpful for some strength coaches who are listening to this, is, you know, strength training for people with EDS is so helpful. But a lot of the time you actually – you need to do something to be able to strength train. Like you can't just go in with someone with EDS, but rarely can they just go in and just train normally, quote unquote, normally. There's a, some kind of preparation needed for that. That might be weeks, that might be months, whatever it is. And we talk about that, what that actually looks like, how to approach it and some of the mental aspects around approaching that as well. So that's the introduction done. Quick disclaimer, this is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, go seek your doctor, physio and medical team. This is just two friends with Ellis Danlos discussing our experiences and our opinions and everything just for entertainment purposes only. So with that out of the way, let's get stuck into it. This is Abby. Abby is, whereabouts are you, Abby? I am in Michigan, just outside of Detroit in the United States. Awesome. So this is a transcontinental um, call today. (laughs) And what we're going to talk about today, Abby's got a really cool background So Abby has classical EDS herself, but she's also got a really cool background with training, competing. And I think, I can't remember when I first found Abby, but when I first found her, I was like, wow, this person competes in bodybuilding, but she's also got an incredible physique, which I have a very strong competitive background. And for me, the competitive side of me is always looking at, okay, how good is this person really? Is this person got a really good physique? Is this person really strong? So the competitive part of me was like, wow, Abby's got this incredible physique. And then the EDS part of me was like, oh my gosh, she's got EDS as well. And I was like, I've got to get Abby onto this podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Abby. And <laughs> I just want to start off Well, thank you off for having with... me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, 
just want to start off with finding a little bit more about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We've already said you've got EDS and have done bodybuilding, but maybe just a little bit of backstory on um, probably more the EDS side of things, what your experience is and how you've um, approached training with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so hi, everybody. Um, I'm Abby. I have classical EDS. Um, and I was diagnosed um, kind of on and off, I like to say, when I was about two. So they noticed something was wrong when I was two. Um, I have the skin to prove it. So I'm very elastic everywhere. Um, I've got the joint side of things. So I am this way, that way. Oh, my goodness. The whole shebang. Um, I have the bruising, the atrophic scarring. Um, I've underwent a series of neurosurgeries. Um, I dislocate things all the time. I'm having a great time. Um, but I was misdiagnosed until I was 10. Um, and then I competed in gymnastics because I was very bendy and flexible. Um, and then I had an injury where I dislocated both of my knees at once at age 10, which is a pretty weird injury to have at that, at that age. Um, and then I was diagnosed with EDS. I, um, came into a doctor's office with a doctor and probably 12 interns of him putting me on display and having me do all my stretching and bending and said, this is EDS. I was like, what is that? Let's talk about it. Give me a pamphlet, something. Um, and so I was pretty determined to not be the poster child of EDS, but over the years, I definitely became that um, with probably 300 plus stitches to my name now, um, different dislocations of every possible joint you can think of. Um, and then when I was 16, my tailbone and my spine disconnected. So I haven't had an L4, L5, S1 um, stage four slip. So my spine basically fell off my tailbone. Um, and so I had to have that reconstructed and fused um, at 17 years old. And I spent the rest of high school in a wheelchair and walker. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was the bulk of my EDS story. Um, I then went to the University of Michigan and studied, studied uh, cognitive neuroscience. So a lot of behavior science there where I started working um, with the intellectually disabled population. Um, and that became kind of my, my heart and soul. Um, but all this through quite, quite struggling with EDS, getting around campus. Um, Michigan is very, very cold and icy from November to sometimes May. Um, and so a simple slip or um, getting into my car wrong or going down the stairs would end up in crutches, a trip to the hospital, um, stuff like that. So I was, uh, I was not doing so great. Um, I started getting into weightlifting as an attempt to lose five pounds before my uh, spring break when I was 20. Um, and I realized what it was doing for my body. Um, so over the time after, you know, five pound goal was out the window, I was noticing that I was not dislocating stuff that much anymore. Um, and that even through, you know, some setbacks in weightlifting that it really was helping me overall, um, got a little carried away with it. I consulted with my doctor about it and he said it would be an absolutely wonderful thing for me to try, um, and keep up as long as he was supervising it. And we were checking in every once in a while. Um, got carried away with it because I loved it. And then I ended up competing in my uh, first season of bodybuilding when I was 21 and a half. So only a year and a half later after I started weightlifting. So, wow. and now I hanging out with the EDS community. I'm a personal trainer. Um, I run the personal training department at a franchise of gyms in Michigan. Um, and I take on pretty much exclusively people with additional barriers to fitness. So a lot of those being 
um, young women with EDS, um, older folks with chronic fibromyalgia, um, different things like that, some gastro issues um, of uh, home to some of my clients. So yeah, I, I've seen it all, I would like to say by now. <laughs> so that's my story. Yeah, awesome. I, I didn't know all of that about you, like all of the stuff that you went through. That is a lot to go through at such a young age as well. Um, and something that we've talked about is, I guess, the balancing the performance side of things with the Ella's Danlos side of things. So tell me a little bit more about your, um, I guess, the bodybuilding competition um, and what your mindset was around that, why you wanted to do it. Would you do another one? So I'm going to work backwards here. I would not do another one and I will, I will get into that. Um, but it's not EDS related that I wouldn't do another one. Um, I had set a goal with myself um, that you know, true triumph for me, a tangible measure of my success and being able to overcome some of the struggles that I had had with EDS was competing in some sort of form of weightlifting. So whether it would have been powerlifting or Olympic lifting or bodybuilding, I wanted to have like a tangible goal um, towards the end of my finish line um, with healing my muscles for the purpose first of EDS and then kind of crafting my physique. Um, so that was kind of the the bridge there was really just proving to myself that I could. Um, the only reason I would not compete again, I think it was a great experience to um, bodybuilding is hard. The preparation is extremely grueling in terms of nutrition and um, physically what you're putting your body through. Um, and I think there was something beautiful during the process of this is a struggle that I chose versus all of the other ones I didn't choose. Um, and so it was, you know, you had to do this. You had to be strong when you were overcoming, um, the wheelchair phase of my life, I like to call it. Um, and now I'm choosing. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of me proving to myself that I could, I could take anything that was thrown at me. Um, following the show, I definitely had a damaged relationship with food, um, and with the way my body looked, I didn't feel strong. I was pretty weak. I was, um, mal malnourished. I was dehydrated. Um, and so people were commenting of, oh my gosh, you look so good. You look so fit. You look so healthy when I was the least healthy that I had been in years, uh, realistically with, with how, how the dieting phase went and how exhausted my body was. Um, and so I have a little bit of a disconnect to bodybuilding at the moment because I never want anyone to look at that and think that I was healthy ever again. Um, and so now I've, I've kind of reframed lifting to be a lifestyle, um, and I've incorporated a lot of functional strength versus shaping my body to look the way it wants to. Um, and more just about moving better for longer is a new focus for me that was absent during bodybuilding. And that's just my personal, um, experience with bodybuilding. So new goal, um, but I'm happy I did it. Yeah. I think the bodybuilding one's really interesting because, um, like I've seen posts on your page talking about that same idea of like, you've got that one of you, um, you gained weight after your competition. You're like, I was actually so much healthier after I gained the weight. And I think that, I think that's going to be, I've seen people talking about like coming into 2024, that's going to be a big shift in the industry is less people competing. I think for a long time, it's just sort of been mm -hmm. a goal that people have that, that you just do to achieve a certain thing. But if you you really need to have the right approach to it in order to um, come out the other right. side okay and you need an exit strategy. And um, I think a lot of people forget that it's like a, a very extreme sport um, 
not to say that you've like done it the wrong way or anything, but it is one of those things. If anyone listening to this is thinking of doing a bodybuilding competition, it is a extreme sport. It's not just a fun, like body transformation challenge. It's something that you need to really approach with a lot of, um, yes. Yeah. Things have to be, ducks have to all be in the right line, um, to do it. I, I've competed in bodybuilding and I think I will definitely again, but that's been a lifelong goal of mine since I was a kid. So, um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's maybe the difference there, but, um, I, I do think it's cool to have that performance or, um, like some kind of external outcome challenge, even when you've got EDS, did you find that it helped you to kind of pull your stuff together and like have more of a focus when it came to your body. I don't know. For me, I just know when I've got a competition, that's usually when my body feels the best because I'm doing everything that I need to do to perform, which normally actually lines up to me also feeling better. Yeah. My consistency was, had to be better than it ever was. Um, for it, it was the kind of thing. Um, and this is pretty common in the EDS community. It's like, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. Um, we're going to check all of our boxes. We're going to cross our T's and dot our I's. We're doing it the right way. Um, and so that um, I did have a have a really solid regimen going um, and I was very consistent. So I felt good at first. Um, and then it was the it was the latter half of it that I think I lost um, the reason I was lifting all along and the reason I was doing the show all, mm. the, all along. It just became about, you know, I felt like a robot. I was like getting my steps in and my cardio in and, and eating my chicken breast and my egg whites and my protein powder. And I think um, towards the latter half, I was so, I was exhausted. Realistically, that's just what happens at the end because it gets hard. Um, I was so exhausted that I lost sight of why I was doing it in the first place. Um, and so I think, you know, it would be a good transition into talking about EDS here. Um, I remember after the show, I'm just talking about, you know, how I placed and how, if I won and things that happened on stage or didn't happen on stage. Um, and so when the, when the end goal in the first place was to, you know, kind of show to myself that EDS didn't own me anymore. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't talk about that part after I talked about the show, I talked about the prep and I didn't talk about, um, you know, the triumph of, of doing this in spite of EDS. So yeah, I lost that part of it. And that's, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that does make a lot of sense. Um, what were some of the big challenges that you had with your EDS? And I guess actually probably a, a better place to go is more um, separating out that competitive side of things, because this is something that I struggle with, I guess, with my page, I talk about, you know, I compete in powerlifting, I compete in bodybuilding. They're two things I'm very passionate about. But even if I wasn't competing, the training would still be good for my EDS. And people maybe see this Mm -hmm. outcome and they think, oh, well, that's what being fit is or that's what being strong is, is this outcome, this competition, Um, which as we've already discussed, bodybuilding is actually a grueling process. Um, Like I would just call it an extreme sport. So let's take away the extreme sport end of things. If this is like a pyramid, that's like the top 10%. Why does the rest of the period uh, pyramid work so well for people with EDS? Like, why does the, what are some things that you've, I guess, taken from those competitions that has taught you what works for your body with EDS? Yeah, absolutely. And I I experience this with my clients every day too, um, where you come in with this goal. We all, all humans have some sort of 
physique goal, whether they realize it or not. It is the world that we live in where we are very driven by um, the look of people and judgment and how we feel in our own skin. And I always remind my clients who come in and I we start talking about goals. They're like, oh, well, my body hurts. And then they're like, and I also want to lose 20 pounds. Or, and I also don't like the way my stomach looks and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you are allowed to have all of those goals. And I think kind of putting them in, a, in different boxes. You've got goals of how you want your body to feel when you wake up, when you go to bed, um, how you're going up the stairs, how can you sit while you're driving and not have backaches? Um, are you able to go on a hike? It's all of these things that make life better and longer, hopefully, um, are in one box. And there's another box for um, these goals of, you know, losing some weight or maybe putting on uh, the look of, of a broader shoulder or rounder glutes or things like that. They can live in separate boxes, but that doesn't mean they're, they have to be worked on separately. So I think it's it's really nice when you start to um, look at weightlifting, not as a cure for your symptoms, but also not a quick fix for a body image issue, but something that can do both at the same time. And I think we forget that, that in um, the pursuit of trying to get stronger, you may heal some of your symptoms. In the pursuit of trying to heal some of your symptoms, you may experience uh, some confidence in your body and some muscular shapes that you've never seen before. Um, and so they really do go together, even if they kind of start out as separate goals. Yeah, it's similar to that rhetoric in the fitness industry where they're talking about, you know, stop focusing on how you look and get strong. I mean, I'm in the powerlifting world, so this is what people are always saying. Stop focusing on how you look and get strong. And if you're eating well and getting strong, you're going to look, you know, your, your physique is going to change as well. But I think that really applies to chronic illness as well is I see a lot of people and I'm talking to these people on, you know, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, wherever I'm talking to them and they're training, they're doing resistance training, but it's all just focused on almost like chasing these different symptoms. And I want to exercise to fix this symptom. I want to exercise to fix this symptom. It's almost like a bottom-up approach where they're doing all these tiny little things and, and working towards this, this bigger picture. I've always found that having an external goal is like a top-down approach. So I've got this external goal and then I'll do what I need to do to get there. And it seems to have a better effect on my body. Like I get questions a lot, people, people saying, how do I stop my ribs from subluxing? You know, they're subluxing in my sleep. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's going to change person to person because I don't know which muscles are tight on you. I don't know which ones are pulling the ribs. And it could be everyone has a slightly different prescription on how to fix that. Secondly, from that one person from month to month could change. So for example, my sacroiliac joint, one month, the pain might be cured by training my glutes. And then the next month it might be trained, uh, cured by training my adductors, which are opposing muscle groups. And it's, that's a, that's a trend that I've noticed. And the, the rehab specialist I work with who specializes in EDS, he's found that as well is we have these fluctuations from month to month. So I feel like when you're just chasing feeling good about each individual symptom, it can do your head in. And one of the best things that I've found is an external goal. Like I want to get strong all over my body or I want to get build a muscular physique, whether it's for body, bodybuilding competitions or just in general or fat loss, but taking a very balanced approach with strength training. It, the little things just work. Like the things just kind of fall into place and it does take a lot of work when we've got EDS. And there's all these little things that we have to think about, 
but it just seems to be, I don't know, my answer to a lot of these people, I just want my answer to be like, do a full body strengthening program. But that's hard for them to understand why that works so well. I don't know. Do you resonate with what I'm saying? Having this external goal actually helps you from a sanity perspective, but from a practical perspective to, to hit these little targets that actually make your body feel better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does, it does feel like, um, I think for a long time I took the approach in not being comfortable in my own skin and feeling, so I, I had gained a lot of weight after my surgery because I was in a wheelchair. Um, and so I, for two years sat really sad and, and rightfully so was really sad because I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to lose weight or lose fat or build muscle or build my glutes. I am one of those unlucky people because of EDS that has to throw those goals away and you don't. Um, and you can start to approach them in a smart way, in a way that works for your body. And that's hard to find because everybody with EDS is a little bit different in terms of how they respond. But go tackle that goal. Go see what you can do despite EDS. Accept it as, you know, that is going to be something that makes this journey a little bit tricky and different and tough, and it's going to probably suck more than it does for the average person. Um, but you don't have to throw away those goals. Um, I think that's where we start to get in kind of a snowball effect of, you know, now I might be losing weight or gaining weight to whatever you feel like is negative on your body. Um, you know, mental health, um, kind of having muscle atrophy, we start to get in the spiral of, well, I can't have that because of EDS, so I'm not going to try. Why would I try? Um, and so having that external goal can be such a good way to see what your body can tackle. And then you might tackle that goal, and then you might set a new one. Um, so you can kind of go up that ladder and kill two birds with one stone, solve, solve all of the things that you were going for. Yeah, I like what you were sort of saying there, that idea of like, I can't have that because I've got EDS. Like something I've been thinking about a lot recently is I like – who we identify as, what our aspirational identity is and how that, like, how much are you letting your beliefs get in the way of you achieving what you'd like to be? And I think that there's a lot of mm -hmm. people who sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've been brought up in a family where I was always told, do what you want to do, become what you want to be. Um, I also have some great role models. I've spoken about this to other people with EDS, but like my grandfather was a really famous professor of medicine. And he had dyslexia so bad that when he was a kid, he was teased and someone, people will say, oh, you're so dumb. Nothing's ever going to become of you. Mm -hmm. He has had got textbooks translated into so many different languages. I think that some of them are still used today in medicine. So I've had role models like this and I've, it's never like, I literally remember thinking about that when I was a kid, you can do anything that you want. Don't let this thing get in the way, achieve things in spite of it. But I know that a lot of people don't have that. And I can sometimes see that for me, I see it as a limitation now. Like I still see things, oh, do I not think that I can do that because I actually can't? Or is it because it's a limitation that I've got in my head? How much do you think, like, have you had experience with this along your journey with Ella's Danlos transferring um, from, obviously you're, you've, you've achieved some really cool things now. Did you always have a mentality that allowed you to, do you think that, you've identified as different things along that journey and how has that um, affected what you can do? Yeah, I think a, a really poignant memory for me. Um, and I still at 24 years old, I look back 
on my experience in gymnastics and it just breaks my heart um because I did it from probably seven years old to like 12 so even after my diagnosis I tried to keep going um and it was less I think my my perspective has really shifted because back then after the diagnosis and I tried to keep going with gymnastics um it was really like a I'm gonna ignore it I'm gonna ignore EDS. I don't accept that as me. I don't accept that diagnosis. I'm active. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm this. I'm that. I can do anything. Um, but it wasn't an I can do anything despite EDS. It was an I can do anything. They've got it wrong. I don't actually have that. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Um, even though I, I very much so was experiencing every possible symptom that you could Google um, and had been for some time. So I never accepted my condition. I never accepted what was going to happen or what might happen. So therefore I did not take precautions for it. Um, so two years after the diagnosis, and it's probably a year after my diagnosis, I had to stop doing gymnastics because it was just getting horrible. I was in pain all the time. Um, and even then I didn't even attribute it to Heller's Danlos syndrome. I was like, oh, I like I outgrew it, or you know, I was I was starting to get to a high level, so I kept getting injuries. It was I was lying to myself, I was lying to my friends. I never once could just say, I have EDS is making this really hard for me. Um, and so what really shifted after the back surgery and when I first started weightlifting is now I really truly hold EDS as the part of my story the one thing that makes me feel really successful in a sea of a lot of strong people and a lot of people who can lift heavy and look amazing um, in a sea of all of those people. I claim EDS so hard. I cling on to it as I am so, you know, thankful that this is part of my story because it makes me even more special. Um, and I think it makes everything that I do a little bit cooler that I can say, oh yeah, I was in a wheelchair once, you know? Um, and so I, it took a lot of work to, and a lot of phases of, I don't have this to, dang, I really have this and it's my whole personality and it's stopping me from living a happy life and it will always stop me from that to now having kind of both perspectives be giving each other a hug and I wake up and I hold both of them so close to me. Yeah, I like, I like that whole thing that you're saying because it's, it's the balancing point, right? Like if your whole mental health is based around denial of something, when it does happen, you're going to crash and burn. And that's just what people always in psychology, they always talk about. If you are denying, militantly denying something, once it does actually happen, your whole world's going to fall apart. So I think that's, it's that holding space for both, both parts of you, the I can do things, but also that I'm limited in what I can do. Let's go back to, cause I know we were talking about this a little bit before we actually started the podcast. This, um, I guess, mindset that you had when you were very disabled by your EDS what was the difference then versus now in your mindset oh huge difference huge difference um I so sad I was so overcome with feelings that I would never be able to do anything um and all of the things that I was told were going to happen to me. Um, it, I just, I just had the most negative outlook on my prognosis. My prognosis became me, um, me 
it became my really my whole personality. I couldn't have any success or any happiness without the caveat that I hate my life and my body hurts all the time. Um, and so I really was, I was really good at sucking the joy of anything that came my way um, and really laying into um, being the sick girl. And I think for a really long time, I liked it. I wrote an essay on this in college. The assignment was to unpack something you've never unpacked before in your head. And it was really about how I loved for a bit. I had a really weird toxic relationship with getting, I don't want to say attention because that's the wrong word for it, but it was like, I was finally being validated because this was my whole being was that I'm sick and I'm in a wheelchair and I'm in and out of the hospital and this is what I deal with and blah, 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 blah. I loved it because I was getting, I was finally feeling that validation that I had been craving for my whole time without a diagnosis, my whole time during gymnastics. I, was, I just wanted someone to say, oh my gosh, you really are going through something. And I really found the back surgery as a way to, to feel that. And I sat in it for two years of, you know, it was every essay I ever wrote, every college interview that I ever did was about EDS and every conversation, it became about how much I'm struggling. And every thought that I had that I said to my boyfriend at the time or my friends, my family was about how my life sucked. And it did. And it did. And I was so valid for feeling those feelings. Um, but what weightlifting really helped was I feel like a completely different person now because I, I don't struggle in the way that I did. And I attribute most of that to the weightlifting. But I wake up every day and I go into a lift every day and I'm saying, you have something to bitch and complain about today. You do. Everyone, everyone who is close to you and believes you and loves you knows you struggle. Um, and with that, those same people and you look at yourself and they say, oh my gosh, look how hard she struggles. And those are huge, you know? So it just adds, it adds a piece of it. No one accepting um, or not accepting that that's my whole personality and I, I'm going to just sit in this all day. That didn't take EDS away from me. That didn't take the fact that I struggle away from me. It didn't take the pain away from me. It did not take my diagnosis. It didn't take how people see me. It didn't take any of that. Um, away from me. And so every, everything um, that I do in the gym is, you know, reminding myself that I, <laughs> I was really going through it. Um, and that I was really, really sad pretty much every day. And now it's I wake up and you have every reason to be sad and you're still going to go to the gym. Um, and so it's just combining the two perspectives. You don't ignore your EDS. You don't say my life is fine. I'll be fine. You don't tell everyone you're fine. But you also, you know, can't wake up and sit in it. Um, you can have both. And so both has been the most positive place for me to be in mentally and physically. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I think it's super, super important to hold that space. And that's a challenge I guess I've had as well. And maybe you can relate when you're posting online talking about Ella's Dan loss. There are some people who are very, very disabled by it. And I mean, you were one of those people, but for me, I have, I've had quite bad symptoms. I, I think of my chronic illness as a, an accumulation of extremely inconvenient things that when they add up, stop me from doing the things that I want to do. I've never had a major surgery. Um, mm -hmm. My knees mm -hmm. used to dislocate all the time when I was a kid. Right now, my ankle dis ankles dislocate all the time. 
I have to sleep on like a slope on my bed because I've got the intracranial pressure, like the hypertension. So there's, there's these things that add up. None of them are disabling. I don't know if that's because I manage my condition really well or because I just don't have the symptoms super severe at the moment or because it's going to get worse when I'm older. I don't know why that is, but I do know that other people have it really bad and I can't, you know, like in this space, I never want to be seen as someone who's just giving like these pep talks and you can do it and get up off your butt and do the work because that's not actually holding space for the pain, the suffering, the frustration, the anguish, all of that stuff. But also it, I think it, it's, it just needs to be a two-sided coin. Um, and interestingly, when you were talking there, it actually made me think, you know, you were saying getting that surgery made you feel really validated and listened to and heard and understood. I almost looking back on my training history, I think that's why I love being an athlete because when I'm an athlete, when I'm the best in my sport and I say something hurts, people listen to me. And if I'm somewhere in the middle and I say something hurts, people will just be like, oh, that's just because you're not, I don't know, working hard enough or whatever. But I'm like, when I'm at the top, nobody can question me. And that's why I've always loved to have that um, accomplishment. But it's just interesting that that's the same feeling that we've both had of feeling like we're not listening to, like Mm -hmm. people aren't listening to us. And in my case, I think a lot of the times it's I'm not listening to myself. Um, You know, when I looked up what does internalized ableism mean, I was like, oh, (laughs) I do this. Do you know? Like, yeah, if you look up internalized Mm -hmm. ableism and read Mm -hmm. the definition, everyone who's listening with EDS, go read that. And you may identify with some of the things I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Uh, It's just something you've got to be really careful of. And um, yeah, I think sometimes dysfunctional things can turn into function. Like maybe I'm using this um, as a drive to get better. And that's what's allowing me to achieve these things, which I also like the sense of achievement, but um it's definitely something that you need to watch because like I said before, if you're basing all of your identity on not being this or being this at some point, something might change and your whole identity will get wiped. And that's a crisis that you don't really want to deal with. Like that's a bad, bad spot to be in. Um, Let's talk about, let's talk about some of your symptoms. Like Um, I just know that some of my followers are either undiagnosed EDS or maybe they've got a diagnosis, but their doctor is not very helpful with it or, Mm -hmm. um, whatever. Let's talk about some of your symptoms. So you've got classical EDS. Oh man. Yeah, I've got classical EDS. So I know, um, that's not the most common type. The most common type as far as they know is, is hypermobile. Um, and so usually most of my followers who relate to me, um, through Ehlers-Danlos syndrome have hypermobile. Um, and so I don't want to speak on specifically what goes on um, with hypermobile specifically, but I am hypermobile. Um, so classical is called classical um, in the fact that I get a little, I get a little taste of everything. I, say more like than taste. I get a pretty big bite of everything. I get a little bit of vas- <laughs> Yeah, I get a little bit of vascular. Um, I get a little bit, a lot of bit of the hypermobility. Um, and then my biggest barrier growing up before my joints got really, really loosey-goosey on me was my skin. So I was getting um, lacerations of the skin and stitches all the time. Um, and so with the skin being so elastic, and it really is like insane. Yeah, I've got the um, I've got If the I get elastic. a little tiny cut on much, that. But... Ooh. 
<laughs> party. It's a cool party trick, I will say. Um, but with that, um, a small cut turns into a huge deal. It's almost like a football shape or American football shape. Um, so a little diamond. So what might be like a bruise or just a little nick for somebody um, spreads open into like um, the shape of like a croissant that <laughs> spreads at the middle. Um, and so I deal with significant atrophic scarring all over my legs. Um, so they just look like, it looks like creepy, like a, um, I don't know, I wish I could like stand up and show y'all, but I feel like that's a little weird. But I've got, I've got brown and purple spots all over my leg um, and quite significant like frayed scarring. Um, so that was a big one for me is the, is the elasticity of my skin. Um, I have all the joint hypermobility. Um, I also have severe scoliosis. Woo! I have severe scoliosis um, that gets worse as time goes on. So it's a progressive scoliosis um, because the um, tissue involved in kind of holding everything in place is at the point now where it's kind of just a, a snowball effect of a bendy, a bendy spine. Um, so the scoliosis is pretty rough. What else? Um, I have significant gastrointestinal issues. Um, so not to get too graphic here, but at eight, I had a rectal prolapse. Um, so like the tissues um, of my lower intestines, um, like came out of me, which was great. Um, so that is something that I still struggle with from time to time now. Um, just because the, the literal shape of my intestines with the tissue being so elastic and soft and weak, um, doesn't hold the shape of a normal intestine. So they're kind of like all, um, falling to gravity, like really, really condensed at the bottom, um, of where the intestines are. So that causes just different digestive issues um, that have been really, really, really tough the last year or two. Um, they also can't do a colonoscopy to identify areas of need because the radius and perforation during a colonoscopy is extremely high. Um, so that one's been tough. Um, yeah, I get I gum a... infections a lot because the tissue. What was that? Oh, I was just going to, it's, it's a little bit laggy, but I was just going to say, I had a gastroenterologist who specialized in EDS and he's like, I'm going to take extra special caution going in when I had a colonoscopy because he's like, with EDS, you've got to watch out for this, this, this. So he was really um, careful with it. And he, an interesting thing he said is people with EDS have loopy bowels. So this was when I was going through like a bit of a, um, do I really have it? Am I really that bad as we do with EDS? Um, when it's going well, we're like, am I just faking this? Is this real? Uh, and he said, he's <laughs> like, no, your bowels look like someone with Ehlers-Danlos. You've definitely got a collagen disorder based mm -hmm. purely on the internal of your bowels, which is, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it's like, it's like, no, it's a, one of my uh, friends in college, um, she was, hilarious she was so 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 funny and open about her symptoms but she was undiagnosed but was kind of like suspecting it and <laughs> she what she had uh, experienced multiple experiences with rectal prolapse and she texted in a group chat of some of us who i introduced her to a group of us that have eds and we were just talking to her about her symptoms and stuff and she was on a date and she was like, how do I go to the bathroom and get this thing back in me? Like, I'm on a date. And we're all in the group chat like, oh, my God. Like, first of all, see a doctor. Second of all, like, you need to abort mission on the date. You need to go home. And we're getting you to a specialist. 
sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, so she got she got diagnosed with EDS after that. But we always talk about that story of of the first date rectal prolapse. So <laughs> yeah, I, um, I yeah, but that, that's a, it's a huge symptom. Mine is nowhere near that bad, but I like that's a whole thing. Is like first date stories with EDS. Like that should be a whole like Reddit thread or something. Tell us your worst first date stories with EDS. I've turned up like bleeding. Like I've had like a first date where I've gone there and I've worn a new pair of shoes. And because I think I've got classical type as well. So I, my skin's actually torn because of these new shoes. And so I turn up to the date. I'm like, hi, do you have band-aids? Because I'm bleeding everywhere (laughs) or like just crazy. The craziest first date stories, every first date. And I'm like, I wish I didn't have to explain this to you because I don't want the first thing that you know about me to be the fact that I have this weird disorder but Mm -hmm. there's a few things that you need to know Mm -hmm. if this happens this is going to be the how it goes if this happens this is how it goes if this happens this is how it goes uh let's just get that clear okay sweet now we can go let's just pretend I'm just I haven't said anything and continue getting to know each other because um (laughs) yeah I don't want to make it weird but there you go (laughs) And then you like get out of the car or something. You're like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, dude, not this game now. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> let me help you. I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't mean for this. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole thing though. Like on a more 100%. serious note, um, I've talked about this with some of my friends with EDS is like this need to tell people so that it's, you know, like if I go to the doctor, I need to tell the doctor, especially if it's a new one, I've got Ellis Danlos. This is what it looks like. This is how it is. You have to explain it so much that people start to think, oh, this is all this person thinks about. This is at the forefront of their mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's this really frustrating thing where it's like, if I had a below uh, an above the knee amputation, you would be able to see that I can't, I don't know, do some things that everyone else can do. If I am missing both of my right. arms, I wouldn't have to explain to you, I can't open jars with my hands. Maybe I've got a medical device that helps me, but if I don't have my medical device, I can't open jars with hands because I have both arms missing. But with EDS, we have to explain it because it's so invisible. But I just find that really tricky, that balance between telling people so that I'm, you know, like we were talking about before, acknowledging the Ehlers-Danlos and not just pretending it's not there, but then people listening to that and thinking that it's at the front of my mind all the time and that I'm either them thinking that I'm way sicker than I am or them thinking that I'm a hypochondriac or them thinking that I've got like this sort of victim I'm sick mindset that is seen in a really negative light and yeah anyway that was just a a thought that I'm more serious thought that I've had multiple times Mm -hmm. um about that like and the first date is a funny example of it but it's also like I don't want the first thing that you know about me to be the fact that I've got this weird disorder but you also need to know this is the first thing about me like it's a weird balance yeah it's it's a balance of like this is who I am but please don't acknowledge that like I'm the only person who can acknowledge all of the stuff that makes me a little weird um yeah I totally get that so and that that brings me to something I wanted to touch on because um, I know we've been um, the word victim always pops into my head um, because I had a boyfriend when I was 16, uh, 15 and 16. So kind of heading into the, the issues with my spine. Um, and so for those 
who didn't listen to this part or whatever. So I had a L4, L5, S1 complete separation of that part of my back. So I was basically just falling apart in my lower back. Um, but I was getting up from laying on my stomach, which was a huge no-no from my doctor was laying on your stomach. And I was getting up from that and I collapsed. I fully fell. Um, and my boyfriend at the time said, stop being so dramatic. As we said, I was like, Oh my God. So it, first of all, so that feeling, um, in that moment I fell, right. I was a victim plain as day. I got hurt and I was suffering from EDS and I was a victim of EDS in that moment. Um, and I always use that as a reminder of when I'm, um, kind of waking up and it's a, you know, just a bad body day. Um, and sometimes I want to kind of, make those symptoms known to the people around me of like, I'm having a really crappy day with this. And for lack of a better word, kind of victimize myself so that people like see what I'm going through. But I always remind myself, you are a victim, whether or not you tell people you are or not, whether you are, you know, kind of the, the winner of the symptom Olympics or not, you're still a victim. Um, and so EDS is tricky in the fact that it's invisible because it's like, I want everyone to know that I am victimized by this condition. Um, whether people know it and you're shouting it from the rooftops and how much you struggle, everyone knows that you're struggling really bad, you're a victim whether they know that or not. Um, and so I think that's been a huge piece of me being able to strength train is I just because I'm strong, I'm still a victim of BDS. And I say that, you know, loud when I need to, but just because I'm currently not struggling with dislocations like I used to. Um, and I'm, you know, the, the picture of health for a chronic illness community, um, I'm a victim. And I remind myself that without having to remind everybody that I think, and other people with EDS, like we all, we all know we're victims. So I think we're the community, um, in terms of, you know, different groups and, and forums and stuff about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is, is getting lost is like, we have to like, it's like, we're having to tell other, like, make sure other people in the EDS community know like, oh, I'm a victim. It's me. I'm, I also go through this. Like I'm struggling really bad. We all know, we all know. So I think these chats would just have so much um, progress and, and positive outcomes from these communities when we all accept, yes, you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. I'm a victim. We're all going through it. You're going through it really bad. I'm sorry for you. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about what it could look like on the other side. Um, so yeah, victim mentality. We all we can we can have that from the day we wake up to the day we die. We we are victims just by having EDS. Um, but yeah, kind of like breaking talking about that because duh, we all know now with all the things that we go through. Duh, we are victims for sure. Yeah, it's like removing that emotional attachment to that word. That victim means that I'm saying this, this, this. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I am currently a victim. And that's not saying that I believe that I'm owed this or that I need this or like all of these weird things that people, I guess, society and, you know, social media, people attach to that word. Oh, well, if she's saying she's a victim, therefore she's also saying that she's this, 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 this. It's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm literally just saying that right now I'm suffering at the hands of this thing. And I am a victim in the sense that I did not choose this. This is not something that I have, uh, that I've, played a hand in this is just something that's happening to me but I think it comes back to that idea of acknowledging that condition because if you don't acknowledge it you can't find a way forwards and you can't find a way out and you can't find a way 
to, um, yeah, build a solid foundation out of feeling really, really crappy with EDS. Because I think uh, building your way out by just saying, I don't have this condition, I'm not a victim, I'm I'm healthy, you know, like you were saying, you had the experience where you were doing that at, at one point with your gymnastics. That's not a solid foundation. That's just like a tower that's going to collapse as soon as the EDS gets bad again. Building a solid foundation says, yes, I I have suffered at the hands of this. Yes, this sucks. You have it as well and that sucks for you. You have it as well and that sucks for you. Let's build a community. Let's support each other and let's like build a proper way out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's really yeah. cool. The conversations have so frequently been just about kind of like relishing in the suckiness and it's like something that we all know. And I want to use these resources to talk about things that one another might not know about overcoming or things that have helped or things that have healed or things that haven't worked. I want to know what others don't know. But the one thing that all of us in those groups have in common is that we are all victims and we know how much it sucks. So talking about that, for me, I didn't find some of the groups, some of the groups are so helpful, but some of the groups where it kind of just became like you were talking about, just like the symptom Olympics, um, it wasn't beneficial. We were talking about the one thing that we all know is that this thing sucks. This thing sucks so bad. Um, and so I, I just wish we were using our time different, you know? Yeah. So let's segue from that into something else that we wanted to talk about, which is getting started building muscle when, when you've got EDS, because I don't know about you, I'm a firm believer. And I think sometimes to the point where people are like, oh, she must be so, I don't know. I've been accused of being like single-minded about, you know, strength training is the savior for Ella's Dan loss. I, yes and no. Like I really believe that resistance training of some kind can help basically most people with EDS to feel at least slightly better? Will it get them all competing at the Olympics? No. Will it get everyone instant results? No. But it just makes sense. If we've got these bendy bodies that are dislocating and unstable, it just makes sense to strengthen the one thing that we have control over. But at the same right. time, I know right. you, you and I both have followers with EDS and a lot of them have no idea where to start when it comes to strength training um, or to using, mm -hmm. I guess, physical exercise to improve symptoms. So where would you yeah, start? I absolutely. think the first thing I would say is that so I'm, I'm biased towards strength training, but I think that that's for good reason because I, a lot of cardio exercise actually does my joints damage and repetitive movements aren't good for my joints. And I don't really get the same benefits from cardio stuff as I do from strength. So that's, I guess the only thing I would mm -hmm. say there from, mm -hmm. Like a lot of people with EDS, like I need to start exercising. What should I do? My first thing is I would choose strength right. training, but what, what's your thoughts on that? 1000% strength training. Um, and I say that because um, really are the only thing I, I would say they're the, they're the least affected by our, our collagen defects. Um, and not even, I would say that that is what the research shows is that there is very little to do with muscle and collagen. Um, and so that collagen is going to play a huge, huge role in our joints and the tissue surrounding the joints and the ligaments and our skin and our organs. Why wouldn't we, if yes, we have to accept that those things are going to be weakened. Why wouldn't we take the one thing that can thrive and put all of our, all of our money on our muscles? If that's the one thing that's going to work for me and that's working for me right now, why wouldn't I give that all I've got? 
Um, and that really is what strength training is doing is it's being intentional about giving the muscles um, the repetition and the really the love that they deserve, the attention that they deserve. Um, and they can they can manage a lot, whereas the rest of our body really can't manage that heavy of a load. Muscles are regenerative. They you will create micro tears in the muscles um, through strength training that when they grow back is how the human anatomy works. Not it's not separate from EDS. Those micro tears when they grow back, they will grow back thicker and bigger. Um, and that is the entire process of building strength and muscle is healing those micro tears and healing the micro tears is something that EDS people can still do. We can still do it. Um, there's so much going wrong in our body. So let's focus on the one thing that's doing amazing for us and just like anyone else. And let's put some love there because um, they can and will compensate for other areas in the body. Um, and so kind of a taking that and B an approach of um, I start all my clients working on muscle groups that are bothering them um, or near joints that are bothering them. Um, so I have a client who knee, hip, ankle, they are so misaligned. We're coming like out here with the hip and then here with the knee and then like somewhere in the middle for the ankle is like a comfortable position over the years with EDS for her to be in. Um, so we are specific, specifically focusing on muscle groups around those joints um, that seem to pop in and out all the time. Um, so she came to me with an ankle that dislocated anytime she like jumped down or stepped down from something, the ankle would go out. Um, so we started working on the calf. We started working on the quad, the hamstring, the hip flexors, all of these muscles that are stacked on top of this ankle. If they know how to work and they're thick and strong, they can take the impact. We know the ankle can't. We're not going to fix the ankle. The ankle cannot take that impact. But can we build stuff around it that load off of the ankle? And the answer is yes, we did it. And she very rarely experiences um, ankle dislocations there. Um, so it's kind of about focusing what we've got, not on what we don't have. And that's really hard to do with EDS because there's a lot we don't have and we're reminded of it every day. Um, but remind yourself of, of the stuff that you do have and pay attention to it. Yeah, I like that. I, I always, the, the approach that I would always say is that our end goal. And I think with training with EDS, it's very important to have this end goal in mind. And this is really easy for me to say, because I am a strength coach who's been working with really high level strength coaches for many, many years. And I, I've got this all mapped out in my brain. And then to, to explain it to someone who maybe can't afford a coach or can't afford a physiotherapist is very difficult. But what I would say is understand the end goal. I think that the end goal of training with Ellis Danlos is to be doing a full body strength program that balances the muscles front to back, side to side, internal to external mm -hmm. rotation, top to bottom. That's the goal. The goal is for us to have this, and I'm going to use air quotes for anyone who's just listening to this, normal body, quote unquote, normal body that can just train in a way that is balanced. And that's when you can start thinking about, I want to hit this strength goal. I want to hit this body composition goal. I want to do things with my body. That's the goal. And for most people, again, quote unquote, normal people, non-hypermobile people, they're coming into training and they can instantly start at that level. That's the level that they can just get going to and, and, and do that kind of training. People with EDS, we have to do all of the prep work to get to that level. And the approach that you've said there, Abby, that's exactly what I would do as well. Let's focus on the joints that need help. Let's do the little things that we can do. If our goal is to have this program where you can do squats, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, rows, 
And, you know, I experienced this recently. I had a huge extended time of training and I came back and I knew that barbell squats needed to be in my program eventually, but I couldn't do even barely do a bodyweight squat. So I looked for different ways. Okay, how can I do a squat? And I found that when I had uneven load side to side, that that actually stimulated all the muscles in my torso to Mm. activate properly and I could do the squat pain-free. So I did a barbell squat with uh, like a, a elastic band attached to a kettlebell. One side was 12 kilos, one side was 16 kilos. So it was, if you just stood normally, it'd pull you over to one side. But I did those for ages until that allowed me to be able to do some different squat variations. And so I had this end goal in mind and I was just slowly working towards it. And I guess if you're working with a coach, like let's say you've got EDS, you're working with a coach, but they don't know about EDS. That's maybe something to communicate with them is to say, what you're talking about in your programming, that's where we want to get to. But right now I need to do some other things. What What are your thoughts on that, Abby? Right. Absolutely. I think I remind my clients who struggle with EDS, we are building a foundation so that we can get to goals. Um, and so, again, this is where it comes to kind of that accepting of the EDS and not sitting in it and saying, why would I even try? But accepting the EDS, we do have, period, end of story, we do have an extra hump to get over before we can meet um, people that have typical bodies where they're at. Um, we, we do have an extra barrier. We have additional barriers, maybe one, maybe 10. Um, and so with the right approach, you can tackle those barriers, mostly meaning for us, joint weaknesses, pain, um, stuff doesn't move right. We have too much range of motion, tackling these kind of tangible things, um, that are wrong with us <laughs> tackling those um and getting those in order so that we can train in the way that research shows works for the body not an eds body so we start with i'm going to focus on my eds body um there's a there's not a perfect recipe that's already been researched um, but there is a perfect recipe for a typical body that has been researched for years and years and years um so if we can kind of play around with what's going to help my eds what's going to make my body operate on a more typical level, then we kind of open the door and unleash this this next level that we have to fitness, where we do start to get to do movements that are good for the body, not an EDS body. Yeah. And one thing I'd add to that as well is that imagine we've got like volume controls. My dog's probably about to bark. I think there's a postman coming back. Anyway, just ignore it if he barks. Imagine we've got these two volume controls. One of them's the EDS body. One of them's, like you're saying, the body, the standard body, let's call it. When we start training, we might be doing 5% for the body and 95% for the EDS body. And then as you get better, you might be able to start working on the body training, the conventional, you know, training method. And your EDS body needs to be looked after less and less, but it's always going to be there. No matter how elite you get, no matter how high level you get, it's always going to be there. If you take a break from training, when you come back, you need to focus more on the EDS body and less on the body. You know, like I took this extended break from training and I've just gotten back into it. And I have been training pretty consistently for about six to nine months. And I'm only now feeling like I can train like I used to, like I'm an actual, you know, normal body again that can train, even though I'm still dealing with stuff every single session that I do. Oh, my ankles are dislocating today. Okay. I won't load up my squats very heavy. But that to me, just having that 
is still me feeling completely able-bodied because I'm like, at least I can squat. At least I don't have to do 40 minutes of warm-ups before I do anything. My head's not exploding from my intracranial pressure. Like there's all of these things that are going well for me right now. Yeah, my ankles are dislocating, but that's just my body. Um, but you'll never, the EDS training for the EDS body is never going to go away. It's just going to go in varying amounts. And, you know, when I get close to my period, it gets worse. I have to train more for the EDS body. Some days is an EDS training day. I go into the gym with the full intention of training properly. Oh, it's an EDS body day today. Okay, cool. So I like what you said about how there's the body and then there's the EDS body. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm, I've got like a musical background. So for me, it's like someone on a sound desk, like turning the volume control, which one are we hearing more of today? Like the EDS body or the conventional body. Um, so I want to wrap things up soon just because I know most of my audience have ADHD and probably listening for too long is going to, um, <laughs> they're going to switch off completely. Um, I guess one of the things that we're talking about, which I'd really like for you to uh, say here for the listeners um, you know, we were talking about, I, I'd gotten this message from someone who was struggling to gain muscle with EDS. And in, in my mind, I find this very difficult because I have always gained muscle very easily. I think that's just a genetic trait of mine. If you look at my family, we're all really solid. Um, I got my brother in to do training recently and he's just gaining muscle so quickly and gaining strength so quickly. Um, so for me, that's been exactly what you said before. That's the one thing I can control and I can do it really well. And I've heard two camps. There's really three camps. There's the regular, there's the people with EDS who are just like, yeah, I, maybe I gain muscle easily. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I just do the training. Then there's some people, and I, I, I'm not quite quoting this directly, but it's almost a direct quote. Someone said, the world is lucky that I have EDS. Otherwise I'd be unstoppable and I'd be, be beating everyone because I get so strong so easily and gain muscle so easily. And then there's, they were, they were literally saying, God gave me EDS to make it fair for everyone else. And then there are these messages that I get from <laughs> some people that are saying that um, they, whatever they do, they can't gain muscle. They're losing weight. Um, I was talking to someone a while ago with EDS and she was basically malnourished because of her digestive system which made it impossible to gain weight mm. at all so when I get these messages from people saying I'm really struggling to gain muscle I don't know my first thought is maybe the training's not correct maybe you're not knowing maybe you don't have in your mind how to train for the body because if you're just training around the EDS stuff the rehabby stuff you're probably not going to gain heaps of muscle you need the conventional um body building what are the balloons doing um the conventional bodybuilding approach <laughs> <laughs> um to training to, in order to gain to gain muscle or then my next thought is maybe they don't know how to train around the eds body and they're trying to train in this conventional approach but they haven't actually built their body up to the point where they can and that's why they're not doing it or maybe it's a it's something else with the eds it's a neurological thing it's a um gastrointestinal thing not digesting food properly. That's why they're struggling to gain muscle. Um, oh my God. Or I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it's like a, a, cause I know that there is connective tissue a little bit in the muscle and I'm like, is it something to do with that? But for me, I've, I've always gained muscle easily. So I find it really hard to talk on this without having the research there. And if you look up, do people with EDS struggle to gain muscle? Every website says, yes, people with EDS have low muscle tone, they struggle. And I'm like, that's not true. So 
what are your thoughts on people who are struggling to gain muscle um, with EDS? Yeah, yeah. So where training with EDS becomes so difficult to know if it's actually working or not um, and to kind of find the right balance for you. And this is for, air quote, the body as well. Um, there is kind of this circle of challenge. I like to uh, talk about it to my clients. So think about um, a circle we've got right in the center, um, right in the middle of the circle. We have exercises that um, usually are going to be the ones for us specifically that fall into that kind of handling EDS. It might be some light resistance band stuff. It might be some everyday movements. And it is generally pretty easy um, for your body. EDS might be flared up in another way and think differently about these movements, but generally for the body, it's an easy load. Okay. So we're in that middle circle. Then the outermost circle, so kind of skipping over the middle here, is going to be stuff that's too challenging. And for us starting, that is hands down going to be the stuff that a typical, air quote, typical body um, starts with, which is going to be movements that have been researched for building muscle, period, not building muscle around EDS. So that's an outermost circle. That is too challenging. We are not going to, we're going to see more injury, more um, more pain than gain there. Um, but in that middle circle, we're going to be seeing not much progress at all because this is just kind of challenging movements that we might be scared to do or our joints feel scared or unstable to do, not necessarily focusing on the muscle, where we want to fall into is is a middle ground between those and that middle ground is incredibly hard to find when you're a beginner weightlifter um you don't quite know what to expect out of movements that are both healing my body and also growing my body it, they're going to feel hard they should feel unusually hard like this sucks this does not this feels harder than my everyday stuff which is already pretty hard um muscle failure and and muscle growth feels crappy it burns. This is why people don't like going to the gym and find um, gym journeys difficult because it doesn't feel great. You feel sore the next day. Um, you feel loose and wiggly as you're leaving. So it's really about kind of, for me, it was consulting with a lot of different professionals um, that know about EDS or people that have experienced EDS and figuring out what that middle circle means for me. I don't want to be under challenged, but I don't want to be over challenged either. Um, you're not going to experience growth in either of those areas. And then additionally, I think, um, and I know that they call it newbie gains. The first year of lifting for a typical body, you experience exponential muscle growth. Um, and it's pretty steady. For us, we are going to have this growth ladder, but the ladder, you're going to fall off quite a few times. Um, so it's really, really hard for our body and our brain to make positive associations with exercising and challenging yourself because there are going to be times where you go home and your joints are pissed off. Your body is not happy with the recovery, the extra recovery that it's going to have to do because you put it in that perfect circle of challenge. Um, and so we're going to fall off that ladder more than a typical body does um, quite frequently. And so it's about falling off the ladder less and less as you go up, but by no means does it mean you're not going to still fall off of it. I'm four years in weightlifting now, and I still fall off the ladder. Um, and, you know, it happens less and less and less. But at the beginning, it's more so than you succeed. You're going to fall off more than you get to take a step further. Um, and so accepting that both mentally and physically can be really, really, really tough at the beginning. Um, so I think it's less about you're not, you're not able to build muscle, but they're the barriers outside of just the building part um, are going to make it seem that way. We have barriers to being able to do the things that build muscle, but not build muscle. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and I think there's a lot of like mental tricks that you can kind of figure out along the way. Um, you know, you're talking about falling off the ladder then. I'm like, I started lifting weights when I was 13 and I'm 30 now. So I'm 17 years into my lifting journey and I still fall off the ladder. And something I realized recently, I had, I did something silly at the gym and I hurt myself more than I ever usually would. Um, and I was, I was so angry at myself and I was so annoyed and I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to say that is me discovering that's a limit. And with the EDS body, you need to know where limits are. And I've now discovered a limit and that like psychological techniques to kind of help you get through it. Um, I think are really helpful as well. And you'll pick those up as you go, but like, that's one of them telling yourself that you're doing this to prepare for the next session rather than I have to do everything in this today's session. No, I'm just doing the little things that I mm -hmm. can to prepare myself to do more later. I think that something with people with EDS struggle with is we get boxed into this corner where we basically feel like we can't do anything. There are so many exercises that hurt us, but doing nothing is only going to lead to us being able to do less and less and less. So in order to be able to do more later, we need to do the things that we can now. And this is my advice, you know, like on, on TikTok or whatever, when people are like, I can only do, I can't do many exercises. What should I do? My advice is always find the things you can do now that aren't painful, that don't flare you up. And maybe they might feel stupid. Do you know how dumb I felt as a person who has competed for my country in powerlifting, doing these weird wobbly squats at the gym? Like I felt silly doing them. And you might feel like, why am I even bothering with this? but it's to expand your capacity to do more later. And a lot of the time, the exercises that we do now aren't going to get us to our end goal, but they're going to get us to be able to do the things that we need to do to get to our end goal. So it's about unlocking doors and expanding capacity. And I think, I guess that's like similar with your story, right? Like when you were in the wheelchair, the fact that you couldn't do so many things limited even further the things that you could do. And part of recovery is doing the small things and sometimes it messes with your head because you're like, I'm starting so small. Why is this even, um, what is this going to do? And then you, but that expands it out to do more and more things. The results are the, the opposite of immediate. They are so, they take so long. They do. And we are experiencing what it is to be in our body every second of every day. If you were to look at a photo of yourself, you know, for three months straight, you're not noticing the changes from day to day. But if you look at yourself day one, you look at yourself on month three, you might look different. Um, you know, as you're slowly cutting your hair or, um, you know, your face is losing fat or whatever these small changes that happen over a course of time are, you don't notice them from day to day. You don't. Um, and so, what I found it really, really positive, and I'll kind of leave with this, since we both have kind of our, our best piece of advice here, is when you do start a strength training program with EDS, with a, with a chronic pain condition, uh, journal. From day one, journal mm -hmm. how you are feeling mentally and physically in your exercises, because you may not know what to measure yet, how to measure your own success. And so therefore, you might feel like you're not achieving anything, that you're not succeeding. So journal how your mind and body are feeling. You can A, start to notice patterns. And when do I feel crappier? When are my joints more angry at me than usual? Um, when do I feel disconnected? When do I not want to be doing this? So notice patterns um, in how the rest of your life is affecting your um, exercise. 
And B, you also get to look back on day one if maybe you didn't lose your five pounds external goal or, you know, your shoulders don't look more toned external goal. You can look back at 40 days ago on day one and you're terrified to be in the gym. You don't know what exercises to do. And now 40 days later, maybe you walked in with a plan. Maybe you walked in and said hey to a couple friends at the gym that you didn't know on day one. Maybe your ankle is a little bit stiffer when it used to just be going all over the place in a certain exercise. So you'll start to notice these small successes that in turn turn into something huge. Yeah, I love that. And actually something that that made me think of when you were talking about there with the journaling and finding patterns, I think that's really important because um, it's slightly tangential to what you were saying, but like with EDS, when you put your body under, under work in the gym, you might experience pain, dislocations, you might get excessively tired after the session, whatever it is. It's easy to think, oh, this is where I saw the symptom happen. Therefore, that's what caused it. But sometimes it can be external things. What what was your sleep like last night? You know, like a thing with EDS is that we have to change our mattress regularly because a firm mattress hurts us sometimes and a soft mattress hurts us other times. So was that a factor? Was it that you were doing, is it after three days of full-time work and then you go train that you get hurt? Is it like what other factors? We have such a reduced capacity. Everything in everyday life can affect how our body feels. And I think that's, you know, coming back to what we were talking about before, having this balance between like an athlete mindset and a sick sick mindset. I think that acknowledging the sickness, but also thinking like an athlete, athletes are very solutions focused and they think I need to get here. I'm going to just work backwards and figure out the steps. And so I know some people who, you know, they, if they get, if you're too tired after having a shower, because that's a common thing with EDS, showers are like the devil sometimes if you've got pots and other symptoms. If you're too tired after having a shower, maybe you can shower the night before and then wake up in the morning and go to the gym. Or for me, I realized that some days if I train in the morning, then I'll have energy. But if I train after work, I have zero energy. Um, Or what did I eat that day that allowed me to have the energy to train? So that's another thing that can kind of come, come out of that is when we don't have all the data points, we just blame what we see, which is, oh, I've started training and now I'm in pain. But sometimes there's other factors that are playing into that as well. Sweet. Absolutely. Is there anything? Yeah. Catch on, catch on to the patterns that are related to EDS and not is, is a big one. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add in this whole discussion before we wrap up? I would just say um, there are multiple times where myself or other folks with EDS that I know started a weightlifting journey, started a strength training journey. And because it hurts, we stopped and we accepted that it wasn't working. I'm here to tell you from personal experience, it does. After those, that period where it's going to feel like you're exacerbating your symptoms, it works. <laughs> so um, I implore you to try it for yourself. Um, and if you need help doing that, uh, myself and Annie are great resources to do that. Or if we're not the fit for you, I'm sure that we have books and books and books of research that we have done for our own bodies um, and for people that we love, who we want to support with EDS. Um, so reach out for help. And um, yeah, it's just it's just maybe your mind and your body or somebody else's mind and body to 
um, get to the drawing table and figure out something that works for you and um, can at the at the bare minimum make you feel a little bit stronger mentally or physically or whatever your goal is. So reach out for support because it is out here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So where can people find you like Instagram? Do you use any other platforms? Yeah. Instagram is going to be my main platform for all things, um, kind of EDS sharing my story, um, sharing tips and tricks. Um, I do a lot of stuff with, um, nutrition and relationship with food and exercise. Um, and so you can absolutely reach out to me via, uh, DM, Um, And then I also have a link in my bio um, for coaching services as well. Um, So, yeah, I would be looking forward to talking to anybody who has anything to share. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks for the time taken to um, join on today. It's been really good. I've loved hearing the story. And actually, I will share this one more thing because we talked about it before, but I don't know if you mentioned these exact words once the podcast actually started recording, but I really liked what you were saying before about how accomplishments become so much cooler when you acknowledge the Ellis Danlos. And when you, yeah. <laughs> like when we've got Ellis Danlos, the fact that we do this stuff all of a sudden becomes so much cooler. And it, I, I really like that as a way of acknowledging the Ellis Danlos as part of who we are, but also not everything that we are. And it just means that we can celebrate our wins even more like a even bigger celebration um so yeah i really love that but i'll let you go now thank you so much and i'll link abby's instagram in the notes under the podcast or on you on youtube if um if you're watching on youtube so um you'll be able to find her and yeah awesome thank you abby have a great night where you are thank you see you later Bye.